As we begin, let's sing Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, number 553 in our songbooks, everyone. 553. of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wonder Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love here's my heart oh take and seal it seal it for thy courts above I don't know if you noticed in the second verse, but um, here I raise mine Ebenezer. What is that? In the Old Testament, it was a name for a stone of help, and it's a it's a a phrase that would let's say it would be a figure of speech about God is our stone of help, and He is, and so. Let's go to him and thank him that he does help us. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this hour to bring honor and glory to you, we know you deserve it all. Thank you that you are figuratively our stone of help, that you help us, and you're unmovable, but you help us in every area of life, especially the spiritual realm. We realize that you have paid the price for us through coming into this world in the person of Jesus Christ and dying on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and after being buried, rose again the third day from the dead, according to the scriptures. Father, we thank you that whoever believes that message about Jesus Christ with all their heart has forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Father, we thank you that you help us in that direction, that 
is beyond this life, that it is an eternal matter. And I ask that if there's someone here today who hasn't understood that and made that decision their own, that you would guide them, challenge them, and draw them to yourself, that they would make sure this day of their eternal state. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one who is here. For those who are traveling, I ask that you would give them safety, even on roads that may be slick. Also, Heavenly Father, I realize some are not feeling well, and I ask that you would meet their physical needs as well. But Lord God, I ask in every aspect of the service, in the time singing, the scripture, the even in the giving and the fellowship together, Lord, in every way, that you would be the one who is honored and worshipped. Thank you for gathering us together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. At this time, I'd like to ask that you open your songbooks to 279 as Joshua leads us in his robes for mine. For mine, oh wonderful exchange Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified In Christ I live, for in my place he died I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God Brought by such love, my life is not my own My praise, my all, shall be for Christ His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand, with righteous works not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father pleased. Christ drank us wrath, on sin and cried, tis done. Sin's wages paid, propitiation won. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My 
praise, my all shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I, accursed and left alone. I as though he, embraced and welcomed home. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. As many of you know, I have so many favorite songs. And yet it is so precious to find a new one. And uh, this one came to us uh, kind of by mistake. Uh, we kind of got it mixed up with uh, the higher ground that most of you probably know, the one that starts out, I'm pressing on the upward way. This one talks more about, I would say, the inner struggle uh, that each of us face each day as we press on towards the mark, uh, towards that higher ground. If you'd like to read along, go to number 454. Satan's weights would pull me down. The Savior guides my way. My steps are measured by His Word. A firm foundation He has laid. I want to stand on higher ground. To know his voice, the sweetest sound. No turning back, I'm heaven bound. Lord, lift me up to higher ground. New strength I find on higher ground. Above the world's allure. He marks my path and points my way. In Christ alone I am secure. I want to stand on higher ground to know His voice, the sweetest sound. No turning back, I'm heaven bound. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Oh, do you search for higher ground? Can you not find the way? Jesus, my Savior, is the guide. In Him alone you can be saved. Oh, 
Will you stand on higher ground? Please hear his voice, the sweetest sound. And if you're saved, you're heaven bound. Christ, lead us up to higher ground. everyone to take up your Bible, open your Bible to James chapter 4, follow along as Tom reads 10 through 17, James 4 verses 10 through 17. Please stand for a scripture reading. Yourselves in the sight of the Lord and and he shall lift you up. Seek not evil one another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, and they, ye that say, today or tomorrow, We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall come on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not, to him it is sin. Amen. You may be seated, and as we sing number 13, bow the knee, children's church is dismissed. to come into God's presence just to linger with the one who set me free as I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory I repent of who he is and bow the knee bow the knee King of all the ages, bow the knee. God alone on his throne. See him high and lift it up and bow the knee. Kneel before him, all adore him as you live to love him more. And he holds the power of creation. With his voice he spoke, and all things came to be. Yet he hears each simple prayer I bring before him. As I humbly seek his face and bow the knee. Bow 
continue in James as we <clears throat> look into verses 10 through 17 that Tom just read for us. Thank you, Tom. It does contain a lot of instruction, of course, and the key verse for today is verse 15, for the ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We all want to know what God's will for us is, don't we? Well, we can ask him, but he also gives us a whole lot of information about what his will for us is, right, in the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you that you would teach us as we look into this portion of scripture that the Holy Spirit would open our understanding and give us just what we need for today and tomorrow and the days ahead. Lord God, you are so good. You have a perfect will for each and every one of us. We don't take that for granted. Father God, I ask you that we would be always considering what that is. That it would affect the way we walk in this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> what about God's will? Is it just an ontological argument that because most human beings have a concept of God that therefore he exists? Or is it more than that? Most people will also acknowledge that he, as the supreme being, has a plan for this world and the universe. And so he must be sovereign, at least to some degree, I would say every degree, and therefore possesses a will. After all, that is one of the distinctions of being a personal, knowledgeable, conscious, thinking, feeling being, as we saw in the Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class this morning. It is then, because we think of God's will, that he must have a plan for the ages and you and me. We think it, so, well... Or do we have it backwards? To be sure, God has revealed his will through the pages of the Bible. He has revealed it to us. He does have a will, whether humans are aware of it or not. It's our job to discern it. The order, then, is that we must believe in God first and... That leads our awareness of him and his will. In the bulletin, I put a quote by Tertullian. It's interesting. I do not understand in order to believe. I believe in order to understand. That's the order, dear friend. We need to put our full trust in God, not the other way around, where his will is something that we impose or superimpose upon him. So, what about God's will? 
Do Christians really want to know God's will? I would say most certainly do. Or do they want God to conform to their will? Some, maybe. And there are some of each, I'm afraid to say. And have you evaluated where you're at with these things? I asked Tad just a week ago a little bit about a snow machine. Do I really want to buy a snow machine? Is that God's will for me? I'll have to admit, I don't know yet. I don't know. Last week in the sermon I read in 1 John 5 verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that if he hears us, he'll give us the petitions we desire of him. Yes, God does have a will for the ages, for the universe, and for you and for me. It's our responsibility to learn what that is and do it. James has given us several do's and don'ts in those verses that Tom read for us, verses 10 through 17. Do's and don'ts concerning God's will. But first, let's establish the truth from the pages of our Bibles that there are many, many other passages that address God's will for us as well. I'll give you just a few examples. It's God's will that we believe in Jesus Christ and love others. 1 John 3, verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Any commandment is God's will for us. Any commandment for us is his will. John seven seventeen says, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God. So we are to discern the teachings of the Bible. That's his will. We're to learn them. There are several. It's, for example, it is God's will that we serve Christ from the heart. Ephesians 6, 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. God wants you to serve him with your whole heart. It is God's will that we rejoice in him and pray to him and give him thanks. You may know what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18 say. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. These are just a few of the references in the Bible that tell us of God's will. And it's definitely not exhaustive. Think of this. Every command given in the Bible for Christians living in the church age are to be obeyed, and they are his will for you and for me. And those who've studied the Bible to count things, it's interesting. Old Testament commands add up to 613. New Testament commands add up to 253. Those, those commands that apply to us in this age out of the New Testament are God's will. Then there are several Bible principles also that are not direct commands, but principles that apply to this discussion. I have mentioned some of these before in other settings, but I think it's worth repeating again. When we are thinking about a direction to take, a project to do, a function to attend, a place to go, 
associations with others, activities. I hope that you take a moment and ask a few questions to determine if this thing is God's will or not. I could be silent for quite a while, but you get the point. Take a moment and think, is this God's will for me? Here's some principles that apply. You can ask the question, what does the Bible say? If the Bible addresses it one way or the other, then that's your answer. If it doesn't, go on and ask another question. Does it meet God's approval? Does it meet God's approval? For example, if we're doing it for him, it will honor him. Colossians 3.23 is an example. We do it unto the Lord and not unto men. Are we doing it for personal recognition or for his glory, for his honor? Here's another question you could ask. Does it bring glory to God? The verse I chose for this year is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, that says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Does it bring glory to God or me or not or whatever? Here's another question you could ask. Does it give a bad impression? First Thessalonians 5.22 says that we should avoid those things that give a bad impression. Does it weaken or hurt a brother or sister? Romans 14, verse 12, or 21, I mean. Does it create doubt? Jesus said that anyone who causes a little one to stumble, it's better that a millstone were cast, hung about his neck and he was cast into the depth of the sea. Matthew 18, verse 6. It shouldn't create doubt. Could it cause bad or evil results is another question you could ask. Galatians 6, verses 7, 8, and 9. Does it edify or build up others? Or does it tear them down? Romans 14, 19. So anyway, there are a lot of principles that apply to God's will, and you find them in the pages of the Bible. God wants every Christian to know his will. Acts twenty two fourteen says this. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will. So today, in our passage, we can learn even more concerning God's will. It's the main context of the eight verses that Tom just read for us. James presents these do's and don'ts concerning God's will for believers like you and like me. These issues should not be a problem for Christians. But just as the struggles to please God existed back then, yes, the Bible is a timeless book. The issues exist in the hearts and lives of believers today as well. I'm going to draw out these do's and don'ts, starting with the don'ts first. Bear with me. Don't the don'ts of God's will first, and then I'll address the do's, which means we will not be examining the eight verses in order. I'll be going back and forth. I think you'll understand as we go. Number one, the don'ts of God's will. Don't slander others. Don't slander others. That's God's will for us. Don't slander others. What do I mean? Verse 11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law. So, 
The Greek word translated speaketh evil is a hard one to pronounce. It's cattle all a-o. I wonder if God has a lesson for us just in that fact. That a word is really hard to pronounce. It means maybe it shouldn't be pronounced at all. Maybe we shouldn't slander others at all. It shouldn't proceed out of our mouths. <laughs> this word actually shows up three times in this verse. I have chosen a synonym for this word. It is slander. Dear friend, it is an evil thing to slander someone else. It's not God's will to do harm to the reputation of someone else. To blame others of wrong, to propagate lies and false accusations, which is intended to bring harm to someone, is not God's will. Even worse, it is what Satan does. Did you know that? Satan in the Old Testament means adversary. In the New Testament Greek, it means accuser, slander. The devil is the word translated from diablos, and it means traducer, false accuser, and slanderer. Slander is one of the things the devil does, so that is a reason to avoid it as well, but it's not God's will for us to slander. So if a Christian engages in speaking evil of another person, they are engaging in the activities, if you will, of the devil, not God. Do some Christians engage in these things? Do they get a twisted pleasure out of putting someone else down? Are there some Christians who try their worst to destroy the reputation of someone else? or maybe a church, or maybe a family. Those who are serving Christ, do they somehow want to harm them? <clears throat> God's will is don't slander others. Secondly, don't judge a brother or sister. As we see in verse 11, <clears throat> judgeth his brother speaking evil of the law, and judgeth the law, but if thou judge the law, <clears throat> thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who, who art thou that judgest another? <clears throat> Don't judge a brother or sister is God's will. Now, this judging is connected with the idea we just looked at, and that is to slander or to speak evil of someone else. It is not what we so often hear from folks when talking about a person who says they are a Christian but shows no sign or evidence that they are, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, we're told, we're not to judge others. In fact, there is a movement afoot today. Some are calling it the free grace movement. It seems to be an extension of a book by Zane Hodges titled Absolutely Free. The basic premise of the book is right. There is no work that anyone can do to gain salvation. But by extrapolation, some have taken it into this, what's called the free grace movement, and drawn an unbiblical conclusion. The free gracers say that if anyone simply says, I'm a Christian, we are not to ask questions. That We're not to ask 
anything about that, we would be judging if we do, supposedly. It would be wrong, they say, to ask for an explanation or a testimony of salvation from someone who wants to be baptized or wants to join a church or teach a class or just to take it. If they say they're Christian, that's it. If we do so, we are being judgmental, they say. And, of course, we all know that we are not to judge others, right? We're not to judge others, right? Is that what this passage is talking about? No, it's not. These Greek words used here have to do with an attitude where the sinning Christian speaks and acts as a judici- in a judicial manner, as a self-proclaimed judge. A dan- that's a dangerous, evil thing, and we'll see. Rather than a discerning, private assessment of another's conduct. Albert Barnes says it this way, Christ does not condemn judging as a magistrate for that when according to justice it, it I mean, is lawful and necessary. Nor does he condemn our forming an opinion of the conduct of others for it is impossible not to form an opinion or conduct of conduct that we know to be evil. But what he refers to is a habit of forming a judgment hastily, harshly, and without allowance for every palliating circumstance and of, of expression or expressing such an opinion harshly and unnecessarily when formed. What was Jesus teaching in Matthew 7? Let's go to Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, and see what Jesus was teaching here. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Here we go. Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. I should have stopped at verse 5 because that does give us a a little bit of a, a question mark. The idea about the figures of speech here, about the the log in your own eye trying to pull a sliver out of someone else's eye, you understand we ought to judge ourselves first before we even attempt to judge others. Let's look at verses 15 through 20 also. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not 
forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus is telling us in the same context that to judge those things is appropriate and necessary. So in James, what is being spoken of here about not judging another? It's a simple thing, actually. The Bible teaches that it is good to be observant, to be discerning, and to even examine the conduct or the fruits of others with the intent of honest ministry. But to place ourselves in a judicial capacity belongs only and exclusively to God. Verse 12, in James 4.12, once again, tells us there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, who art thou that judgest another? What does it mean in verse 11 about the law? Well, it's written in the Old Testament law, thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. In the New Testament it says in Luke six thirty-seven, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. And in our book of James 2, look at verse 8, it says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. So that is the law that is being spoken of there in verse 11. Matthew Henry says, The sum and substance of both is that men should love one another. A detracting tongue, therefore, condemns the law of God and the commandment of Christ. When it is defaming its neighbor, to break God's commandments is, in effect, to speak evil of them and to judge them as if they were too strict and laid too great a restraint upon us. It's God's will that we don't have an attitude, a judgmental attitude, but a loving and discerning spirit is, of course, honoring to God. But we're not to be judgmental. Isn't the Bible so true when it says in Romans 2, here's Romans 2, verses 1 through 3, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Don't be a hypocrite in our, in our discernment, in our quick being too quick to judge others. So we're not to slander, and we are not. It's God's will that we do not judge others in that sense. And another don't of God's will is don't do business on your own. In verse 13, it says, go to now. That's kind of a strange phrase. It's a phrase designed to get your attention, though. In chapter 5, verse 1, it also says, Go to now, ye rich men. The Jews well understood it back in their day. 
even from their history. Like in Genesis 11, 4, when they built the Tower of Babel, they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower. Remember, in Genesis 11? In our day, a parent may use a similar phrase when getting the attention of a youngster. Come on, or come now. We'd, we used to say on the high school bus when riding back and forth from Thompson River to Kalispell, ah, oh, come on now. We used to say that. That's the idea. Just to get your attention, with a chiding tone in our voices, we'd say, ah, oh, come on now. God is telling us through the pen of James, go to now, pay attention to this. He similarly used the phrase in a corrective tone. Come on now, all of you who say, and then he goes on, tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get, get gain. Come on, he's saying. Pay attention. Apparently, some of whom James was writing to were wealthy merchants. And those who pratted about boasting about their business plans. There is no evidence that they sought the will of God or prayed about their decisions. They would be like those who make their own plans and measure success by the number of things they accomplish. A lot of people function that way. Christians aren't like that, are they? A friend of mine defines success this way. Success is knowing God's will and doing it. Sadly, there are many Christians that make their own plans and then ask God to bless it after the fact. When the plan fails, they presume that God failed. They presume that God has failed and so they become discouraged or bitter and may fall away from the things of God and his church entirely. That's not how it works, is it? We should ask for God's will, seek God's will, learn God's will, and then do that rather than making our own plans on our own. So instead of going about life on your own and doing business on your way, James penned the right way in verse 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So seek God's will. Be earnest in prayer. Desire God's way over your way every time, always, in all things. And after all, this verse says, if it is his will, we live. Did you notice that? Now let's look at some do's. I just named three don'ts. Let's look at some do's concerning God's will. Do humble yourselves. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That is God's will, that we humble ourselves in his sight. There are two ways to be humbled, though some never do either. One way is to be humbled by God. To be humbled by God may take a person through difficulties, trials, problems, and struggles that they otherwise would not have to face. My father-in-law, I loved him, he used to talk about two times 
two turning points in his life. He said, twice, God brought me to my knees. God humbled Dale. King David was humbled by God when Nathan the prophet pointed out his sin before God and man, remember? And God actually honored David because of his humility. God took him to his knees. David's son died, but God said David was a man after his own heart because he humbled himself. Peter was humbled by God when he denied the Lord Jesus three times before the crowing of a rooster one morning. And what did he do? He wept bitterly, and he was embarrassed. You can learn that way. You can be humbled by God and be embarrassed, or better yet, be humbled first intentionally. James says, humble yourselves. That is God's will. Not in your own sight. Not as a show for other people. That would be hypocritical, of course. (laughs) By the way, my wife tells kids, if somebody gives you a humble button, don't wear it or they'll take it away. Think about it a moment. If somebody gives you a humble button, you can't wear it. If you wear it, then you're not humble, right? (laughs) Okay, then they'll take it away from you. That's what she teaches kids. But in the sight of God, that is something that is a personal, daily matter between you and him privately. Humble yourself, James says, in the sight of of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. If you humble yourself before God, then it is he who will reward you, and he sees fit when he sees fit. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud, says Proverbs 16, 19. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, verse 4. What was their problem in this epistle? James 4, verse 16 was their problem. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. There was the problem. Do humble yourselves in the sight of God. Me as well. To retrieve a few do's from previous verses. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves to God. Verse 8 says, draw near to God. Those are do's. Verse 8 also says, do purify your hearts or cleanse your hands. And verse 9 says, do be afflicted. Literally, realize one's own miserable state as an undeserving sinner. That's humility. Yes, God is merciful and full of mercy, but to appreciate that truth, a person must recognize their unworthiness. A song that I've enjoyed over the years is unworthy. I am unworthy. And yet, that is part of the attitude James is telling us in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of God. I don't have it perfect, but it is a daily private, private, personal thing between me and the Lord and should be between you and the Lord. James teaches that as a do. 
So James addresses another one. Do seek God's will. As we've already seen, verse 15, do seek God's will. Why? <laughs> because to do the don'ts in this, like verse 7, okay, here we go. James addresses God's will and gives us these do's and don'ts. Why? Because to do the don'ts is sin. Okay? If we do the don'ts, it's sin. I know that sounds odd. Verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is not limited to theft, murder, fornication, child abuse, and the like, but it is very clear that if you do anything that we know is wrong, in private or otherwise, it is sin. James 4, verse 17. And also, if we neglect to do the good stuff, God says that's sin too. Did you catch that? And secondly, we need to obey God's do's for his will and avoid the don'ts because of the brevity of life. Verse 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Last week and the week before, we had fog in that pasture just north of our house. Ground fog that lasted a few hours, sometimes many hours. We've had it in the field north of our house that lasted just a few minutes, sometimes in the morning, and it was gone. You understand the principle here in verse 14. None of us know that we have 20 years to live. None of us know that we have 20 months to live. None of us know if we have 20 weeks to live or 20 hours. Pastor Rudy Ringhoff down in Polson 13 years ago was doing push-ups in the living room floor. He was fit. He was a private pilot as well as a pastor of First Baptist Church in Polson. When Rita went to work, he was doing push-ups. When she came home, he was still on the living room floor. That was a shock to all of us. We don't know. One of the reasons to obey God doing his will is of the brevity of life. You can't just put it off until tomorrow. Pastor Ringhoff, by the way, was ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Today we've seen some practical things out of James chapter 4. And I trust that the Holy Spirit uses this to make a difference in your life and that you allow it as well. I don't know what your needs are. If there's someone that has a spiritual need of any kind and wants to include me in prayer, I'm very willing to help out that way. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for who you are, that you have given us the means to be able to honor you and please you and do your will. You've given us the Bible that tells us your will, but also 
that within us we recognize when we do right or wrong. Father God, I ask you that we would please you by doing right. And when we know to do good, that we would do it. For your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask everyone to turn to victory in Jesus, and we'll sing that in dismissing. 353. Thank you, Valerie. We'll sing that as we're dismissed. 353, victory in Jesus. Everybody stand as we sing victory in Jesus. gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood, and I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. All my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Verse as the last I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and cause a blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus Good afternoon, everyone.